This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Maybe you're new here, and if so, we really want to welcome you. Glad that you're here. And this summer, we're studying the book of Philippians. And uh, it is a book about joy. Uh, It's really a book about joy in bad circumstances. It's it's good news when your life is bad news, is is at least the story for Paul in this. So it's wonderful to be together. And uh, I hope this study's been encouraging for you. It has for me. I'm, I'm studying myself happy up here, so I hope that it's beneficial. And if not, at least I'll go home happy. Uh, so I hope it's beneficial for you as well. And um, if you're new here, a number of you are new. If you're new here as well, you can track with what we're doing. If you miss a Sunday, a lot of folks out this summer, um, just on various Sundays, on vacation and that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, in, in some ways, we don't all pull back together until September. Any, any given Sunday, people are out and about. So if you miss, you can always keep track. You can subscribe to the podcast and just get the messages delivered to you. Often they go out Sundays. So often by Sunday night, uh, you'll have the message. Uh, or you can just go on the website and listen to it. And in this first chapter, it's important because every passage has really tied together to, to sort of get the, the benefit the, of impact of any particular passage. Uh, we sort of have to see what comes before it, and, and that's true today as well. Uh, today, I want to talk about the subject of life's big questions. Life's big questions. I mean, we all have big questions about our lives. We don't often think about them, perhaps, um, but, but there are big questions in our lives. And, and, you know, when it comes to thinking about the big questions of life, there's a couple of questions that top the list. What's for dinner? That will be up there. Um, but there's a couple of questions that top the list of life's big questions. One of them is, what's my purpose? Why am I here? I mean, why in the world I have consciousness, I'm alive, I'm breathing, I have existence, but why is that? What's the goal of my life? And how you answer that question will determine everything about how you live. If the goal of your life is uh, to be healthy, that'll determine how you live. The goal of your life is to have money and to be wealthy, uh, that'll determine how you live. If the goal of your life is to find love and Uh, to find romance, sexual fulfillment, if that's the goal of your life, then that will determine the decisions uh, that you make. If if the goal is comfort and pain avoidance, then that will determine how you live. What is your goal? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What, What is your life all about? If we were to ask those closest to you, your family, your closest friends, you know, what's he all about? What's her goal in life? What's her purpose? What, what would you, what would they say? How we answer that impacts our life. Another big question is, what happens after death? What you believe about what happens after death will determine how you live as well. If after death, we just all take a really long nap and we're unconscious for like eternity, game over, go to sleep, get buried in the dirt, sleep forever, don't be unconscious for all eternity, that eternity looks just like Everything that happened before I was born, I don't remember anything that happened 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. So, so my future is just that. If that's your view, then that'll determine how you live each day and what you go for and what matters and what you're aiming for 
in this life. Fear of death can determine how you live. Uh, that can determine how you respond. There's a few drivers out there which had a little bit more of a fear of death uh, on the freeway. Uh, that might be helpful. But if you fear death, if you're paralyzed by death, how do you think about death? And how do you think about what will happen on the other side of death? Those are, I mean, it's hard to pick bigger questions than that, right? Welcome to the summer. Everybody's on vacation. We're not going to take a mental vacation today. We're going to ask the big questions. What's the purpose of my life? And what happens after death? Now, here's what's interesting. Paul answers both of those questions in the passage we're going to read today. And he doesn't answer them in college philosophy class type of a way where everything's sort of detached and sort of uh, theoretical. He answers it from a prison cell. He answers it from a place of suffering. He answers the questions, what's my life all about and what happens after death? He answers that while he is awaiting trial before the most powerful man in the world. Paul is in prison in Rome and he is awaiting a hearing before Caesar. And so when he has this uncertain future in front of him, when he has this uncertain decision that Caesar will make about him to let him go free or to execute him, when he is waiting for that, he is sitting in a cell and he's thinking about the big questions of life and he is telling us how the answers, how he answers those big questions and how that enables him to have joy in a prison cell. So let's look at the passage today. It's, we're going to read verses 18 through 26. I'm not going to finish the chapter. We'll finish chapter 1 uh, next week. Most of this chapter has been autobiographical about Paul, really. Uh, sort of, not autobiographical, but sort of personal, where he's sharing his own thoughts ab- about his life. So let's look at verse 18 through 26. We'll finish the chapter next week. Uh, we're really going to look at the second half of 18, but let's le- read the first half too. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In today's passage. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you, first of all, that you reveal truth to us, that you don't leave us in the dark to figure it out, but you have given us a God-breathed word, the scripture, to enlighten us, to instruct us, to teach us, and to change us. And so we posture ourselves today as those who need teaching, those who need instruction, those who need enlightening, those who need light to shine in dark places, 
of our lives, our hearts, and our minds, and those who need a hope moving forward. And so we pray that through your word, you would provide all of that today. We pray that you would open up the word and that you would breathe through it and that light bulbs would go off over our heads, Lord, that there would be an an awakening to your truth, an awakening in our spirit. And, And Lord, we pray that you would set us on a right course. Lord, where we are off course, correct us and set us on the right course to know truth and to live in light of truth. And you are the truth. So show us yourself, Jesus, we pray by your spirit. We pray, show us yourself and your good news to us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's how Paul's life philosophy and how his view of death works for him. It, it, it produces joy. Uh, it produces joy even when he faces uncertainty. And so the first thing we see in this passage is that Paul has confident joy facing an uncertain future. Paul has confident joy facing an uncertain future. This passage connects directly to the passage we studied last week. It starts off with, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So last week we looked at the fact that Paul is in prison, and he has rivals out there that are preaching the gospel, and perhaps they're doing something to afflict him. So he's in prison, they're pouring salt in his wound. They're, they're probably trying to draw a following for themselves, is probably what they're doing. And uh, so he says, I don't even care about that. They can do whatever they want to hurt me. If Christ is being proclaimed, I'm excited about that, and I'm joyful. So he's joyful that his rivals, these people who've made themselves his rivals, are experiencing fruit in their ministry. So he's joyful about that, and he goes on to say, yes, I'm at the end of verse 18, yes, And I will rejoice. Okay, I'm going to keep on rejoicing. I'm not only going to be happy, celebratory, joyful, encouraged that these enemies of mine are preaching the gospel. And and I'm not only that, but even as I look to my future, I will. I'm going to continue to find joy. Why? Well, he says, verse 19... I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So, I'm joyful because you're praying for me, and I know that God's going to answer your prayers. And God's going to answer your prayers through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to help me. God hears you praying for me, and God's going to answer those prayers, and God's going to help me, and my situation is going to turn out for my deliverance. I know that, and I'm happy. Now, what is his deliverance? The word deliverance is the same word that's translated salvation elsewhere. So salvation is a word that means to be saved, which is to be rescued. And he's saying that I know I'm going to be rescued from my situation. And I know that the Lord, the Spirit is going to help me. I'm going to be rescued from my situation. And as he goes through the passage, we see that he says, I could be rescued one of two ways. One is Caesar could let me go. And that would be great because that would enable me to have fruitful ministry. That would enable me to be able to help you in an ongoing way. And so I could be delivered. I could be rescued. I could be let go. And that would be good. Or Caesar could kill me. And if that happens, that would be great. Actually, he says that would be better. That actually would be great because then I would be delivered from my suffering and I would go to be in person with Christ. I would go to be with Jesus. So either way, I'm going to be free. 
I'm going to be free of cell. People in, in first century Rome, they didn't keep people in cells long term. Being imprisoned was typically a holding place for felons. It was typically a holding place until you had your hearing. So they had other ways of punishing you. They didn't, they didn't just keep you long term in prison. So he knows I'm either going to walk or I'm going to die. And in either way, I am going to be free. And as he looks ahead, listen to this. He has this confidence that the Holy Spirit's going to help him. Look what he says in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he has this confident joy in an uncertain future. He says, here's what I know is going to happen that I'm not going to be ashamed. What does he mean? He's saying, I'm not going to act in a way that's going to bring me shame. I'm confident in that. When I stand before Caesar, I'm confident that I'm not going to deny my faith. I'm confident that I'm not going to cower. I'm confident that I'm not going to be driven by fear. That when I give an account for myself to the most powerful living man, when I stand before the human tribunal, I'm confident, I have expectation that I will be able to stand and give testimony for Jesus Christ. He's confident that he won't deny his Lord, but that God will give him all courage. And he's confident that this, that now, I'm still in verse 20, as always, Christ will be honored in my body now as always, whether in life or in death. So I'm confident that I will be able, helped by your prayers and the Holy Spirit. He's not saying I'm some great deal. He's saying, I believe the Spirit will help me to confidently testify and that I will honor Christ whether I'm set free or whether I die. That either way, I will be able to honor Christ now as always. See, what he's saying is always this is my goal. Always my purpose is to honor Christ. That's his life vision. That is his purpose in life. That's what I was talking about earlier. His purpose is in whatever I do, I want to honor Christ. So we could say, I want to honor Christ whether I am at church singing songs, whether I am with my friends hanging out, whether if I am on the job, uh, whether I am with my extended family, no matter what I'm doing, I want to be able to honor Christ. And what he says is, whether I live or die, that's all of life. His philosophy, his goal, his purpose is Christ has given me new life. Christ has saved me. So in all of my life, whether I die or whether I live, it does not matter. No matter what, I want to honor Christ. That's his goal. Now this word honor, it literally means, I never knew this until this week, it literally means to make large. When he says I want to honor Christ, it literally means to enlarge. So what is he saying? He's not saying that I want to make Christ bigger. He he can't make Christ bigger. I I want to make Christ greater. Christ rules. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is glorious. Paul can't, by his praise or obedience, make Jesus any better. Jesus is better than anyone or anything. He's glorious. He's perfect. What he's saying is, I want to make Christ large through my life or my death. I want to make his fame known. I want Christ to be so big to me that I honor him, even if it means my death, so that Christ will be big to other people. I want to honor him. I want to make him large 
I want to see him as he really is, that he's worth it. That if it costs me my life, it would be worth it because he's glorious. If it costs me my life, it would be worth it because he gave his life for me so that I could have eternal life. I could never forgive my own sins. I could never make myself right with God. I could never rescue myself. But Jesus, in his love, came and rescued me, made me part of God's family eternally. He's done everything for me. And so I want to see him in such a way that I see how glorious and loving and wonderful so that I'm, the song we sang this morning, so that I am consumed by him. I want to be consumed with a vision of Jesus, that he's more beautiful, more wonderful, more loving, more glorious than anyone or anything, and so that I come to the place where I realize that if I say I believe in Jesus, it could cost me my life. If I deny him, I could go free. I want to see him as wonderful and give my life for him is what he's saying. And then by that, I want others to see how glorious that he is. I want to publicize the work of Jesus. I want to please the heart of Jesus. See, here's Paul's goal. He wants to make much of Jesus. And if that means death, so be it. If that means freedom so that he can preach and serve the Philippians, wonderful. But as he evaluates, catch this, this is the point. As he evaluates an uncertain future, will I live or will I die? As he, as he evaluates an uncertain future, he has this confident joy because no matter what happens, he believes the Holy Spirit will help him make much of Jesus. That's how Paul looks at his future. That's how Paul looks at an uncertain future that may cost him his life. Now, how does this work out in our lives? Because it's great to say, well, Paul's an apostle, he's writing the Bible. How is this relevant to me? Oh, it's entirely relevant to you. It's entirely relevant to me. This plays itself out in a thousand decisions a day. Why am I here? What's my purpose? If I embrace God's purpose for me, which Paul shares is his purpose here, if I embrace his purpose, that I want to make much of you, especially as I look to an uncertain future, please help me, Lord, to do that. It will. It will define my life. Now, none of us in here are awaiting a trial for our faith that we may die for our faith. There's no one in this room that is awaiting a situation that because of faith in Christ, you may die. That happens all over the world. That's happening all over the world right now. I mean, the stories in the news recently about Christians being killed. I mean, it's, on, it's not just on some tucked away uh, website where you can go find out about martyrs. It's on the evening news. So the fact of Christians being killed for their faith is very real in our world right now. Not in the U.S., but elsewhere. It's very, very real. So many people do face that, but we don't face that. However, we all face uncertain things. We all face stuff that we're waiting on. We all have that impending situation that we're waiting on. You know what I'm talking about. It's the thing that's in front of you that you worry about during the day. It's that thing that's in front of you. It's, you don't know how it's going to play out, but it's in front of you, and it's weighing on you, and you're thinking about it during the day. It's the thing that wakes you up at night, that you cannot sleep at times. You cannot sleep at night because this thing is in front of you, 
I, I, was, I was talking with someone this week, and that's how they expressed it. They told me a, a burden in their life, and they said, this is the thing that keeps me up at night. That's how they described it. So we all have that thing that's in front of us, and we don't know how it's going to play out. Maybe you are being opposed for your faith, not life or death, but maybe you are being opposed for your faith, like Paul is. Maybe that's what's in front of you, and you're waiting to see the person who's persecuting you, or challenging you, or mocking you, or gossiping about you, or getting all political at the workplace about you, and trying to muscle you out because of your faith. Maybe you worry about that person and what they're going to do. They're not Caesar. They're not going to cut off your head, but for your little world and my little world, it's huge because it it means everything about what might happen to me at work. So maybe that's what's in front of you. Maybe you're awaiting a health diagnosis. See, this is where we can relate to Paul. There's things in our lives that are out of our control. Paul cannot control what Caesar's going to do. And maybe you're waiting. What's the diagnosis? Is it serious? Is it life-threatening? Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for someone you love. Maybe it's your parents or a sibling or something. What's going to happen? Are they going to find what it is? Is there a cure? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're waiting, as I said earlier, for something to play out at work. Maybe, maybe there's something happening at work with the budget and with the business and that maybe you might not have a job a month from now six months from now. And so how is that going to play out? That's out of my hands. I can't do anything about it. So as you contemplate an uncertain future with your health or your job, are you able to have confident joy like Paul does? Or do you, like I often do, worry and be fearful about it? Maybe there's a relationship that's gone south in your life and you're waiting to see how's it going to turn out. It's the burden you carry. It's what keeps you up at night. You wonder about what are you going to say? How are you going to say it? What's your next move in the relationship? Something like that. Maybe there's someone who has a power to make a decision outside of you that can impact your life. That's Paul's situation. Someone outside of him is going to make a decision that's going to impact his life. It's going to actually impact whether he lives or not. So maybe you have someone who's going to make a decision that's going to impact your life. It's your boss, it's your parents. Maybe you're a young person here, and you're saying your parents are going to make some decision that's going to seriously impact your life. How are you going to respond? Maybe it's a decision about your schooling. Maybe it's a decision about are you going to be able to get your license. Maybe it's a decision about are you going to be able to hang out with this, this person or have these friends or uh, get this job or do, do this trip or whatever it is. There's something that your parents are going to make a decision on, and it's going to impact you. As you look forward to that decision, how do you think about it? What if you don't get the decision you're hoping for? Employee, what if you don't get the decision? Do you have confident joy in how to relate in that place? Maybe you're single, and you're wondering if the other person is going to return the interest that you have in them, if there's going to be a mutual interest if this is going to be a potential relationship for you. It's not in your hand. You can't force it. It's out of your hands. Are you going to have the relationship or not? See, our life is filled with uncertain futures. Our life is filled with other people who can make decisions that impact us. Our life is filled at times with people that oppose us and maybe even persecute us for our faith. 
Our life is filled with those kind of things. So we have to have a philosophy of life that allows us to engage that such that it will produce a confident joy. While we wait or while we imagine the various scenarios and how they may play out, here's what we learn. That if our goal is how can I make much of Jesus in whatever happens, that then we'll have a very different attitude. If we're just imagining worst-case scenarios, that's worry. Worry is imagining a future where God doesn't exist or where God doesn't help us. That's worry. Worry, now no one would say that. You wouldn't say, oh, intellectually, I'm worrying because I'm thinking I might be an atheist in one year. That, that's not what I mean. It's imagining that if I get in that situation, it'll be terrible. It's not imagining that if the diagnosis is cancer, if the report is you're fired. If the report is she's not interested in you, there's not going to be a relationship. If whatever it is, if, if it's the worst case scenario, worry says that that's going to be so bad. Faith says that Jesus will be with you in that and the Holy Spirit will give you the power to make much of him and that's the goal of your life. The goal of your life is not to get your way. The goal of your life is not to have the script play out the way you would write it. The goal of your life is no matter how God writes the script that you and I respond with, I want to make much of you, even if that means my death. That's what Paul says. It's so foundational to him that he is confident that the Holy Spirit will help him. Why? Because as Je- I loved what Jeff said as we're singing this morning. He's saying, yes, it's a trial to be in prison, I'm sure. Paul experiences a trial, but Paul experiences joy because he knows his sins have been forgiven. Paul is so aware of Jesus. He's aware of the love of Christ. He's aware of the care of Christ for him. He's aware that God always does us good. Well, if I lose my job, that's not good. Well, circumstantially, that may not be good. But in the midst of that loss, God will do you good because he will even take that job loss and he will work it for your good, the Bible says. He will help you know Christ more. He will strengthen you. He will be present with you. He will provide in a new way so that you will see the miracle hand of God in a way that you're not seeing right now. He will be good to you even in suffering. That's the promise. And if the ultimate happens, this is Paul's whole point, if the ultimate happens and he does not rescue you from the cancer, from the automobile accident, from whatever it is, and you die, then it's better by far. That's what Paul says, because you will be with Jesus. He will always do you good. We think the ultimate bad news scenario is that you die. That's the worst. Game over. And Paul says, actually, that's what I prefer. That's actually the best option going. Because I will see Jesus. And so there is this courage to face the situation. And there is this prayer, I want to trust Jesus. I want to represent Jesus. I want to make much of Jesus no matter the outcome. Listen, here's the deal. Someone can deliver bad news to you. Someone can make a decision. There are people in the world that have authority and power over us, and somebody can make a decision that you don't prefer. Somebody can make a decision that you don't like. Someone can even, a a boss or someone could even make an intentional, willful decision to harm you, to hurt your career, to make life difficult for you. People can make decisions. Caesar can say to the the death, you're going to die, you're executed. People outside of us can do things that can challenge us, but here's what no one can do. Stop you from honoring Christ in the midst of the situation. 
No one can cause you to turn away from Jesus. No one can stop you from making much of Jesus in your suffering so that he's more glorious to you and he's more glorious to others in your suffering than he was in your blessing. He's more wonderful in the difficulty than he was before you went to the, to the difficulty. That's what Job, Job said. Before, if you don't know the Bible, Job like, had the worst life in the world. He, he had a, the best life in the world. Then he lost everything and had the worst life in the world. Then God restored him. And he said, before I had just heard about you when I had the best life in the world. But now having walked through the valley, I have seen you. I know you. I've experienced you. Listen, somebody can tell you bad news, but nobody can take away the good news that Jesus is our joy, even in difficulty. Paul says, either way, life or death, what does he say? As always, whether it is by life or death, I want to honor. As always, Christ will be honored in my body. I want to make much of Christ. So there is this confident joy in an uncertain future. Secondly, as he looks at the options in front of him, there are hopeful choices in an uncertain future. Hopeful choices. He doesn't look and go, door number one, oh yes, please, please, I gotta have door number one. Door number two, oh no, it's terrible. He doesn't do that. He looks at door number one and door number two, and he says, well, I don't know which door is gonna be opened up, but I know that I can walk through it and make much of Jesus. And so they're hopeful choices. See, this is, this is crazy talk for most of us. What, what do you mean door number two? Could, could be a good thing. What do you mean door number two? I could experience Christ walking through door number two. That's impossible. That's terrible. If she broke up with me, if I lost my job, if I went bankrupt, if my health condition worsened, if my mother died, whatever the situation is, that is no. It'd be impossible for that to be redeemed. But Paul looks and he says, hey, i got hopeful choices in an uncertain future. He might live, he might die, but look what he says in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, that's not just something on a mug down at the Christian bookstore. Let's drink our coffee. To me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There are days where I feel like if I don't have my coffee, it's death. If I do have my coffee, it's gain. (laughs) So maybe that should be on a mug. But this is not like, let's put... Let's crochet this on a pillow, okay, and sell it down with the Jesus merchandise. That's not what he's doing here. This is a guy in a cell with an uncertain future who may lose his life. This is real stuff. This is is not peewee league without pads. This is the NFL. Big people coming at you to hit you and hurt you. That's what this is. And he's saying, hey, if I live, that's Christ. If I die, that's gain. If I live, I'll continue to have fruitful labor. That's what he's saying. If I live, I will be able to go on preaching the gospel, starting churches, caring for people, serving the Philippians. But if I die, well, then I'll depart and be with Christ. That's what he says in verse 23. Uh, Verse 22, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he's saying, look, I don't know which I'll choose. He doesn't actually have the choice. Someone, the choice is outside of him. But he, he's in essence saying, I, can't, I, I don't know which is my preferable desire. He could certainly pray for one. 
I don't know which is my preferable desire. If I live, hey, I get to keep relating with you guys. I get to keep helping you. We're in a relationship. I love you. I get to keep serving the Lord and, and seeing more people come to the Lord. I get to, I get to experience all that if we are able to live. If, if I die, well, then I go and be with Christ. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Wow, this is really difficult to think which is better, hard-pressed. This, this squeezes me to think about which way would be better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He wants to continue serving them. It's beneficial to them, but he also wants to be with Christ. See, death means that we are instantly in the presence of Christ in a far better situation. Uh, That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we die, the believer goes to be in the presence of Christ. We don't enter soul sleep. He wouldn't say that's better by far. So we don't enter soul sleep, and then Christ returns and we receive our resurrection bodies. We don't go to some place where we have our remaining sins burned off of us or paid for, where we are kind of in a holding place. We are completely declared righteous in Christ. So when we die, there's no sin to be paid for. It's all been paid for by Jesus. And so we go directly to the presence of Jesus. Now, there is something that we look forward to, and that's why theologians call this the intermediate state. If we die before the return of Christ, intermediate state's not in the Bible. That phrase is not in the Bible, but that reality is right in this verse. It means that between the time we die and Christ returns, what happens? We don't know a lot. The Bible doesn't say a lot. But what we do know is that it's better by far that we're to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, Paul, uh, present with the Lord, Paul says. So when we die, we spiritually continue to live in some context, an environment where we are conscious of Jesus, we are joyful in him, we are not sinful, we're in a perfected state in the sense that there's no suffering, no death, none of that. We're in his presence. And then at the return of Christ, the Bible teaches that the people of God come up out of their uh, out of their graves or wherever they are, if they died at sea, they come up out of the water, whatever, wherever their remains uh, lie, they come up and we receive a resurrection body, which is a spiritual body like Christ. When we see him, we'll be as he is, the Bible teaches. So Paul says that if I die, I go to be with Christ. And the ultimate hope is when we have a resurrection body and that's at the return of Jesus. But I still will be in his presence, I will be with him. And that is so much better. So this is really hard to think about. Uh, On the one hand, I want to fulfill my responsibilities. I want to fill my calling. And each of us have a calling. None of us are called to be Paul, to be writing the Bible and to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But we all have a calling to make much of Jesus. So you may be making much of Jesus. That's what he says. I want to honor Christ. You may be making much of Jesus, changing two-year-old diapers, multiple times a day. That's the calling you have as a young mom uh, at at home with your two-year-old. That's your calling. Your calling may be you're a computer programmer. And so you're to make much of Jesus as you go to your job tomorrow. Uh, Your calling may be to be a student. And so as a student before the Lord, you have the same responsibility to honor Christ that Paul does. Paul isn't better before the Lord. God doesn't say, Paul's doing something really important. You're not. No, what you do is important too. So you, you're called to make much of Jesus. If I go on living, I want to make much of Jesus as a student. 
I want to work hard for his glory, and I want to represent him well and be a testimony to him, uh, to my school friends. Uh, In the workplace, I want to be a testimony to him. In the home, I want to raise the next generation to know Jesus Christ. That's a high and holy calling. I want to give myself to that. So we all have a calling. So Paul's saying, uh, you can imagine as a parent, I'd rather be with the Lord, but man, I got little ones. What would happen to them? There's still work to do with them. So I really want to be with them. I really want to raise my children. I really want, that, that's kind of what he's going through. That helps you see the dilemma. really want to be with the Lord, but I really want to fulfill this calling that I have as well. Each of us has a calling. So what's better is to be with Christ, but the last idea is not only does he have hopeful choices, they're both good choices, but finally, he has self-denial facing an uncertain future. That's what he really says. Verse 25, last section, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, I'm convinced that the better thing is to stay and to be with you. Why? Look what he says. I know that I will remain and continue for your progress and joy in the faith. For me, it'd be better to go be with Jesus. I'm kind of getting old, done this a long time, taken a lot of beatings, been in jail numbers of times. Uh, I mean, Paul's an older guy at this point. Uh, You can only imagine. We live in the lap of luxury. We start getting bad knees, bad backs, bad neck, all kinds of aches and pains. And the older we get, the more we talk about them. Paul, on the other hand, has taken beatings, shipwrecked, been snake bit, gone without food for long periods of time. Uh, His body, no doubt, is deteriorating. He would love to be with Jesus. But you know what he says? If I'm here, I can contribute to your progress in faith. I can contribute to your joy. So if I'm here, I want to spend my life for you to grow and for you to be joyful in Jesus. That's what I'm all about. I want to make much of Jesus, and the way I can make much of Jesus, I can do it in his presence, but the way I can make much of Jesus is to be with you and to see you grow and to see you happy in God like I am in this prison cell. See, if I live, I can tell you more lessons about what I'm learning. I can open up my life. I can speak to you from God. I can teach you the word, and I can help you see you can have joy in whatever you're walking through. That's what he says. And so you know what? Boy, it'd be great to be with Jesus, but this is fruitful to be with you. And so I'd rather, I would rather make that. If if it's my call, that's what I would actually do. That's self denial. He doesn't have the final say in living or dying, but he's giving us a window into how does he think? What drives his decision? What drives his decision? Here's what drives his decision. What's best for you? What's best for you? Now that's a principle we can take home, isn't it? None of us are in a jail cell, but we're faced with decisions all the time. What's best for you? I could go door number one. I could go door number two. Door number two means it may not be my preference. It may be difficult, but you know what it means? It means that you're going to grow in the Lord, and it means you're going to be happy in the Lord. You're going to be joyful. I want to do that. We're faced with those decisions all the time. And when Paul looks at an uncertain future, when Paul looks at what's right in front of him, that's the grid that he decides. See, most of us, most of the time, Our filter is, what's best for me? Here's what Paul actually says here. 
He says, you know, if I could make a choice on this, here, here's my deciding factor. What's best for the church? That's literally what he says. What's best for the church? You guys, the Philippians, what's best for you? As the people of God, how could I serve you? He's so, and he's joyful with the thought of that. I rejoice, he says at the beginning. Last week we saw, he says, I rejoice because the gospel's going forward. All of the guards, 9,000 members of the imperial guard have been exposed to the gospel. I rejoice because people are getting bold. They look at me and my suffering, and they're getting bold in preaching the gospel. I rejoice. By the way, I've got enemies. I've got rivals. I've got people that envy me and are jealous of me. And he says they're, they're, they're trying to harm me. They're pouring salt in my wounds. They're saying, you're in jail. Okay, we're going mo- to make it worse for you. I'm joyful because the gospel's going forth. And here he says, I rejoice. Why? Because when it comes to that moment, the Lord's going to help me make much of Jesus in my great trial. And I want to stick around because I can make much of Jesus by helping you grow in the Lord and by helping you experience joy in the Lord. Can you imagine with me for a moment what it would be like to be a part of a body of believers This is an observation about any church. This isn't just some kind of unique critique about us. But can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a body of believers where everyone made the decisions of their life using this passage of Scripture as reflected in Paul's life? What if all of our decisions were, how can I make much of Jesus and what would be best for the church? What would be best for the people that I'm in a relationship with in the Philippines? What would help other people grow and what would bring other people joy? What if there was a body of people, what if there was a church, what if there was a family, what if there was a small group, a community group, what if there was an entire group of people that said, Holy Spirit of God, give us this, that in life or in death, which is just a slogan for us, not a reality like for them, but in life or in death, I want to make much of you no matter what comes my way and... I want the deciding principle for my decisions to be what will help other people grow in Christ and what will help other people be joyful. What if a whole group of people bandied together and the Holy Spirit of God invaded them and they lived this way? What would that be like? That would be revival. That would be revival. That would be so contagious. It would be so foreign to everything that we know and experience and see and observe around us. It'd be so foreign to see not one person, not two people, but to see a whole body of people who are saying, I'm in this for the glory of God and for your good. And whatever that means, so be it. And that would be a joyful people because the heart of joy is saying, it's all about Jesus. That's where the joy is. And I want to see you prosper and benefit and grow. And I want to see you joyful. That's where we receive joy. It's in the joy of others. If you're a parent, you don't even have to be a parent. If you're an older person, if you're not a little kid. You know what the great thing about this? Here's an illustration. Think about Christmas morning and the joy of Christmas as a parent. The joy, or as an older kid. The joy is watching a young person open something up and burst into laughter and joy. There's greater joy in watching them enjoy something than there is opening anything for oneself. 
That's what Paul says here. My greatest joy is to see Jesus opened up before your eyes. It's Christmas morning. It's you are seeing Christ and what he's like. When he opens up your eyes and then you start growing in him and then you move from I'm making much of me to I make much of Jesus, that's when I really get joyful. When I see you find your joy in Christ, that's my greatest joy. That's what he's saying. And if there were a body of people that lived that way, no one could stop the influence and the spread of the gospel through such a band of believers. Because it would be utterly astounding to an onlooking world. How can I honor Christ by doing what is best for others? How would that affect the way I spend my time? How would that affect the way I spend my money? If my vision was, I I, want to stick around for your growth in the Lord and your joy, how would that affect my commitment to you as my fellow church member? How would that affect my participation? How would that affect my serving? How would that affect my prayer life? How would that affect what brings me joy? So there's a community word here. Paul's Paul's heart is with the community. Paul's heart is for the community. And there's a personal word here too. It's not just a community word. It's a personal word because Paul's not just saying, I'm in this for you. Paul's also negotiating. Paul's also navigating how does he face an uncertain future. So so there's that as well. And we learn, we learn here that we can honor God in adversity or in blessing by making much of Christ, no matter what he brings to us. Now, I think we can help one another with that. Maybe, maybe you don't know what that looks like. Think about the burden, the thing that keeps you up, the thing that you feel heavy about. Think about that. And instead of painting worst-case scenarios where God's not present and it's going to be really terrible, so you're worried, paint a scenario in your mind. Imagine what would glorifying God look like, okay? So picture yourself getting the call, the boss wants to see you, okay? So then you go in, and he says, I'm sorry, we gotta let you go. Okay, if that's the scenario that you're weighed under. So think about that not as, ah, you know, it's the worst moment of my life. Think about that as, what does making much of Jesus, what does Jesus is big to me in that moment, and I wanna make big to others? What, what, what does that look like? Might look like, so what would you say back when you hear that? How would you tell your family? How would you pray? What, what, how would you respond in that time? How would you relate with others about your situation? How would you relate with your coworkers? How would you relate with those who are looking on? Well, if it's spewing bitterness and vile uh, slander about my boss and my company and critique and anger and all that, I'm not making much of Jesus. I'm making much of me. So what would it look like in that situation? What would it look like? Think about that. So as we contemplate an uncertain future, we ask the Lord to help us to respond uh, to him, to make much of him. And then secondly, we look for how can we help others progress in their faith and how can we celebrate the joy of other people. I read this passage to our pastors at a meeting. I don't know when it was, six weeks ago, two months ago, I don't know. We just sat down and I just read this passage. And I said, 
guys, this is, this is our role. This is what God calls us to, to live our lives for the progress and joy in the faith of others. Because I believe that about my role and those guys' role. And I believe that about every leader in the church. If you're in children's ministry, you're serving in there so that the kids can have progress in knowing Christ if they haven't met him to get a better understanding and if they have met him, to mature in Jesus and for them to have joy in the Lord. That coming to church and being with the people of God produces joy and that encountering God produces joy. That's your goal in children's ministry. If you're up here on this platform leading worship, you're doing that not because you can play and I can't. Uh, Well, that's one of the reasons, but uh, that's not the primary reason. The primary reason you're up here is so that all of us can progress in our knowledge of God and in our worship of God, and we can all experience the joy of God, and you're here to facilitate that as you strum or sing. If you're serving in the youth ministry, you are there, you are there for a number of reasons, to support parents who are discipling their children, to point kids to Christ so that with a heart that, that they would progress in knowing the Lord, they would progress in being part of the body of Christ, and they would experience joy in Christ. Pick your spot. What if I'm not in leadership? It's the same thing. Why do I attend my small group? Why am I here on Sunday morning? Because I am here to see others progress in the Lord and others find joy in the Lord. That is the template of leadership, that is the template of being a Christian, actually, and living the Christian life. And this only comes with an upside-down understanding. If we look at the world the way, if we look at the world just through our natural eyes, we never see this. But if we look at the world through the gospel, through the person of Christ, then we say, like Paul does in verse 8, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It starts with having Christ's heart for me, seeing his love for me, which gives me Christ's heart for you, which allows me to say, no matter what happens, I want to make much of Jesus, and I want to see you progress and to see you be joyful. That only happens by the Spirit of God turning our hearts. Let's ask Him to do that. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.